I'm pressing on the upward way, higher ground, 291. I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day. Still praying as I onward path, Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's table land. A higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. I want to live above the world. Though Satan's darts and me are heard, for faith has caught the joyful sound. The song of saints on higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand. By faith on heaven's table land. A higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. I want to scale above the right and catch a gleam of glory bright. But still I pray to heaven I found. Lord, lead me on to higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's table land. A higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. And let's turn over to 402. Like a river glorious, 402. Like a river glorious is God's perfect peace over all victorious in its bright increase. Perfect can it flow and fuller every day. Perfect can it grow and deeper all the way. Finding as he promised perfect peace and rest Hidden in the hollow of his blessed hand Never foe can follow, never traitor stand Not a surge of worry, not a shade of care not a blast of hurry, touch the spirit there. Upon Jehovah, hearts are fully blessed, finding as he promised perfect peace and rest. Every joy or trial falleth from above. Traced upon our dial by the Son of Love. We may trust Him fully all for us to do. They who trust Him wholly find Him wholly true. Stayed upon Jehovah, hearts are fully blessed. Finding as he promised perfect peace and rest. 
And let's turn to 536. I love this song. Whosoever will, 536. Whosoever heareth, shout, shout the sound. Spread the blessed tidings all the world around. Tell the joyful news wherever man is found. Whosoever will may come. Whosoever will, whosoever will. Send a proclamation over vale and hill. Tis a loving father calls a wanderer home. Whosoever will may come. Whosoever cometh need not delay. Now the door is open, enter while you may. Jesus is the true, the only living way. Whosoever Proclamation over vale and hill. Tis a loving father calls a wanderer home. Whosoever will may come. Whosoever will the promises secure. Whosoever will forever must endure. Whosoever will tis life forevermore. quickly as we can and uh, try to get him uh, moved to Brooklyn. Amen. And so pray pray for that. If you can't help, at least keep us in prayer uh, that we can uh, get this thing done and done quickly. And so, and uh, Lord willing, we'll have our regular visitation uh, unless some really weird thing happens and we get hung up in Brooklyn, but we should be back here uh, by 2 o'clock men's prayer meeting at four and uh, just keep us in prayer about those things and then of course our regular services on Sunday and uh, that's all the announcements I can think of at this moment so let's sing one more song and get right into our Bible study 247 I think it's been a little while since we've sung this song beautiful old hymn fill me now 247 
Bibles, right into the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 6, and hoping, I'm hoping to finish up this first portion of Hebrews chapter 6 tonight. We're going to start reading in verse 1. It says, therefore, leading the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection. And then... The writer of Hebrews gives us several things that we are not supposed to do if we are going to leave the doctrine of Christ and move on to perfection. Number one, we are not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. Number two, we are not laying again the foundation of faith toward God. Number three, we're not laying again the foundation of the doctrine of baptism. Number four, where we'll start tonight, and of the laying on of hands, and of the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this will we do if God permit. Now, what the writer of the book of Hebrews is doing, he just finished warning us the end of chapter 5, that we need to exercise, we need to use the salvation the things that God has given us that we may grow past this stage of being a spiritual baby. Uh, babies are wonderful things. 
But as we've alluded to many times, a 45-year-old baby is not a very pleasant situation. Now, is it? Not in any stretch of the imagination. And uh, the idea here is that God wants us to go on to spiritual maturity. And when it's talking about perfection, it is talking about being fully developed in Christ. The idea of sinless perfection while we live in this fleshly body is not attainable. There are other passages that deal with that. And uh, much error has been made over the years by people who think that they have attained sinless perfection. The only problem is those who have obtained it have in their own eyes. And what does that become? Pride. The greatest sin in all the scriptures. And so what we are trying to do is grow up spiritually. Now, when is the last time you looked in the mirror and said, I'm all grown up? Not since you were 15 years old, right? You were trying to be all grown up. Well, how does that work? You, you spend the, uh, from age 10 to 21 hoping that you're being 21, and then from 22 to whatever you attain, wishing you were back at 21, right? Uh, I hope you don't live that way. That's not what the Bible, how God says he wants us to live. Amen. Uh, somebody said, you're getting a little bit of gray hair. Yes, I welcome them. They, they're, they're my friends. Uh, they tell people that I've been down the road a few years. Amen. Uh, there was a time when I was the youngest adult member of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church. Uh, that was kind of scary. I praise the Lord, I'm not that way anymore. Uh, and so we're moving on here and... If we're going to move on, this is what we've got to do. Number one, we've got to get past this foundation of repentance from dead works. If the foundation is laid, you don't dig it up and lay it again. You build on it. Once the foundation is there, even after the building is built, don't do this. Don't go in the basement and say, I want to inspect the foundation and start digging a hole through the basement. You, you just might undermine the foundation and lose the building that you're living in. Uh, don't do that. Now, praise the Lord, you cannot undermine Christ. But there are a lot of buildings that get built over the years. And all of a sudden, they'll find out that that foundation was not situated as solidly as it should have been. If you look at certain buildings, they'll, you can actually see a slant in the bricks. And that's because the foundation has settled. And I'm here to tell you, if the foundation of your life is settling, you don't have the right foundation. Because Jesus doesn't move, amen? He cannot be moved. He cannot be changed. And a lot of times... People are deceived into believing because of the sincerity, because of tradition, because of practice, that the foundation that their life is set upon is real. And then later on, they find out that things are beginning to move. The writer of the book of Hebrews is saying, listen, if you're going back and working on the foundation, if your foundation needs repair, you got the wrong foundation. You can't go back and do it over again. The second thing is, and of faith toward God. 
There are times when we all get discouraged. There are times when we all get out of sync and, and we might feel that we're, excuse me, we might feel that something is not right in our life. But I'll tell you, you cannot lose true faith in God because it didn't start with you. Amen? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Faith is your response to God's Word. If you believe it, that's faith. If you believe it enough to live it, that's faith. should put it that way. Uh, we have a whole world of mental assent. Now, mental assent and a metro card will get you a sub subway ride. Amen? Uh, mental assent and $5.04 will get you a large latte at Starbucks, right? Uh, mental assent in and of itself is absolutely worthless if it's not followed up by behavior, by action. And if you're going back and trying to put your faith again in God, there's a problem. It wasn't the right kinds of faith. Last week, we spent the time on the doctrine of baptisms. And there are so many strange and untoward things in the gospel included in this doctrine of baptisms. And, and I, could, I could spend the next month of Thursday nights doing nothing but just trying to review all the strange and pervient inventions of, of mankind, uh, things that they call baptism that has nothing to do with what the Bible says is baptism. Uh, I tried to spend the main part of our service last uh, last Thursday night dealing with what the Scripture says baptism is. And if you tried to read into your baptism anything more than what the Bible does, baptism is not salvation. Salvation is the baptism of the Holy Spirit which only God gives you. And by the way, uh, you, said, you said baptism of the Holy Spirit. Do you believe speaking in tongues? No. I don't need to reprove what has already been proved. There's no need for anything that I do to prove Scripture. The Scripture is proof in and of itself. I trusted the words of the Bible. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, what? Thou shalt be saved, period. Nothing is there. There's nothing that needs to be added to the Word of God. Don't go out and try to add some meaning that some preacher has come up with or some denomination has come up with to what is in the Word of God. Philip, I see we're having a tough time already. That's my son. Now you straighten up, okay? Now let's move on. And so we, we live in a world where people want to add all kinds of things to baptism. And they want to change it and they want to keep going back and, and they want to deal with it again. And, and uh, some people will uh, preach about a second blessing or a second baptism of the Holy Ghost where you're given strange and unusual powers of preaching and different things like this. And, and again... Baptism is simple obedience. It is your physical testimony of the finished work of Jesus Christ already in your life. That's all it is. Anything else 
to sudden and dangerous things. We don't need to go back and redo what Jesus said that baptism is. It's done. It's finished. If you've been saved, you have the real baptism. And you ought to get the testimony or the physical baptism, which is a picture of the real baptism, salvation, which is baptism in water. And we went over last week, if you don't, uh, Grandma Gertrude doesn't have the authority to baptize you in the swimming pool out back or the bathtub or just wherever there happens to be water. There's got to be a Bible-believing church that practices what the Word of God says. That's where the authority comes from the Word through the church. you got to have both. Amen. Then it says, and of laying on of hands. I don't think I need to spend a whole lot of time about the doctrine of laying on of hands. But we have a lot of people that make a lot more of this laying on of hands than God ever intended to do. How many of you have seen on the television? On the name of Jesus, I command out death spirit, come out! And then they say, say a word. You ever seen that on television? You say, you're mocking this. Yes, I am. Because that laying on of hands never was done in the scripture. That is an invention of mankind. Uh, the closest you'll come to it is the story of uh, Naaman the Syrian who went to the prophet. And the prophet sent his servant out. And the servant said, go take a bath. Go dip seven times in the Jordan River. How many remember the story of Naaman? So dip seven times in the Jordan River, and what did Naaman say? Went to the rivers of Damascus, far better than these rivers. I'm not going to go take a bath here. He said, I thought he would come out and strike his hand over the spot. That sounds like laying on a hand to me. You know, that's what the world expects, is it not? The world is always wanting some what did Jesus say about signs and wonders? He said, a wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after signs and wonders. And if Jimmy and Jimmy doesn't prove that statement over and over again, I don't know what that is. Jimmy Bacon is in his brother. Wicked and adulterous generation. And it's been proved over and over and over again. are into all these shenanigans. Let's look at what the Scripture says. Uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 18. Now we have an unusual and a controversial passage of Scripture here. Praise God, we don't need to be afraid of them. Amen. Simon the sorcerer, a Samaritan, gets saved. And we have Philip down there uh, uh, preaching and people uh, believing. And then Simon the sorcerer gets saved in verse 13. And let's uh, come down in verse 15. It says, Who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. 
For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands upon them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay my hands he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me, that none of these things which he hath spoken come upon me. And so here we see this idea of the laying on of hands and the receiving of the Holy Ghost. And somebody said, well, why, why did it happen this way? Well, uh, question, answer number one is you'll have to ask God because none of us can explain that completely. Answer number two, or a partial answer to that question, is simply this was a transitional period in the scripture. And we were we had the first sermon, gospel message preached to the Jews, Acts chapter two. This was the first time that the gospel message had been preached to the Samaritans. Now the Samaritans were half Jews and half pagan, half Gentile. And uh, there was just uh, an issue here. And they had preached, it said, that they might receive the Holy Ghost, verse 16, for as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. Now when we get to Acts chapter 10, we have a purely Gentile Cornelius who began to manifest the signs of the Holy Ghost having fallen on them before they were even baptized. In fact, that was the sign that Peter used from God, saying God has granted salvation to the Gentiles. That's why tongues was in the New Testament. They spoke in tongues to prove to the Jewish people there on the day of Pentecost that who and what they were was real. By the way, it was languages. you got to list something there. It was not what goes on today. These people here had this, and we find that this guy named Simon, of whom much is written in history. And uh, I, I have a tendency to believe that most of what was written about Simon in history was either written about another Simon or was slander against this man's character because he asked at the end, he said, pray for me that none of these things happen to me. Uh, historians have taken this man, Simon, and made him the... Uh, head of all kinds of errors and false teachings in the early church and, and all kinds of things like that. I, I don't know that we have any evidence for that. Uh, what we do know is that he asked prayer that none of those things would happen to him. And I, I have a tendency to believe I'll see Simon in heaven someday that God saved him even out of his sorcery. Amen. God is able to do that. But 
it's, it's, it's just one of those things in the Bible God puts there. And the only answer I can give you is, why don't we just trust God with that one and try to figure out everything on our own? Amen? God wants us to understand certain things, certain things. He just doesn't answer, and this is one of them. And let's not go in here and try to figure out because there is certainly no doctrine in the Bible that you have to get your hands laid on you in order to be saved today. And uh, so this is just one of those passages that God puts in the Bible. And you know what people do with it? They wrestle with these scriptures the Bible says in the book of Peter to their own destruction. God puts things that if you can't trust God in with if you can't trust God with some unanswerable things, uh, that's where all heresy springs from, is trying to make answers for things that God doesn't answer in Scripture. I believe my God is a sovereign God. Amen? I don't think He sits in a corner of heaven somewhere and, oh, what, what, what are they going to do at Open Door Bible Baptist Church tonight? I, I wonder what's going to happen. I don't believe that God is like that. On the other hand, I don't agree with these people who believe that God planned out every act of every person's life, including their sin, and ordained people to go to hell. I, I don't believe that either. We're not robots. We're not automatons, or however you pronounce that word. Uh, we're human beings created in the image of God. And He has given us choice. But just like Pharaoh, God gave Pharaoh a choice. God knew what Pharaoh's choice was going to be. And so God had to make it to, to the entire destruction of his own nation and of himself. I don't know why I like to say this, but Will Brenner didn't survive, not like in the Tenth Amendment. All right? He went in with the, uh, with the army into the Red Sea. Pharaoh disappeared. And uh, let's move on. Amen? We have this idea of the laying on of hands connected here to the Holy Spirit early on in the church. The next time we see this idea of laying on of hands is uh, best illustrated in 1 Timothy chapter 4, though it's alluded to several other times in Scripture. We're not going to look them all up tonight, but 1 Timothy chapter 4. Verse 14, it says, Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, with the laying on of hands of the presbytery. Now, this idea of laying on of hands of the presbytery, is, uh, that's a nice big name for preaching. And when we have an ordination service, what we do is the pastors that are there under the authority of that local church, September 2nd. I had the privilege of going to an ordination service at, at the um, uh, Bayview Baptist Church in Shirley, Long Island. And uh, there was a young man who was a youth director there. He had been through Bible college. He had been training for the ministry. And uh, there was an opportunity for him to take a church. He had a calling. He had everything lined up, but... He had not been ordained. And so Pastor Palman there called several of us uh, pastors in the area together, and we went there, and 
asking all kinds of questions, and then we laid our hands on him and prayed for him. Now, we didn't make him a preacher by doing that. What we did was we recognized God's work that was already in his life, and we gave our testimony to that fact by examining him with questions and then praying over him and signing his ordination certificate. It's just that simple. I look forward to the day when we can have our first ordination here. We've got some men that are preparing for the ministry. And what we're waiting for is God to give them that call, that direction, that's going to move them into a position where they need to have a testimony. When you go before another group of people and say, I want to be your pastor, you ought to have something to prove who you are. That's what ordination is. And by the way, if you can't get someone to ordain you, I promise you, there are problems. I promise you there are problems. I, I met a man one time. He said, well, I just couldn't find anybody to ordain me. So I went and did it anyway. Well, that's not the Bible way. If you can't find someone to ordain you, there's a problem. And that's what the laying on of hands is. Now, we've got all kinds of crazy people out there. There was... Um, who was it? Robert Kilton. Anybody remember the name Robert Kilton? Watch him on television. He had these green prayer cups. They were green for a reason. Uh, anybody want to guess what the reason was? Money. And uh, he would he had blessed these prayer cups and he had sent them out and said, "You fold up your gift in this prayer cloth and send it back to me." And me touching this prayer cloth will be just like me laying my hands upon your prayer request and praying for you. Now, how many of you take that deal? I'll tell you. He raised millions of dollars with green prayer cloth. Anybody remember Oral Roberts' blessed handkerchief? In fact, he went even so far as to take this passage in the book of Acts where Peter walked by and his shadow overshadowed some. And so he had a picture taken of him. And his son, who turned out to be a total reprobate, by the way, uh, he took a picture of him and he sent it to people and he said, you take your prayer list and you put it on the table and you hold my picture so that the shadow of my picture overshadows your prayer list. And then you take your seed gift and you wrap it up in your prayer list and you send it to me and keep the picture to remind you of the point of contact that we have one with another. Now, I'll tell you what. If there aren't two human beings in the same space touching each other, there's no point of contact, amen? Uh, we are not mysticists. We do not believe in telepathy. Uh, we do not... Uh, all of the things that people try to do today. The funny thing is, with all of these people, if you go to Benny Hinn to get healed and you don't get healed, guess whose fault it is? It's not Benny Hinn's fault. You didn't have enough faith. That's what they will tell you repeatedly. Let me warn you, 
is all part of this going back and trying to rewrite the scripture so that we can fit and fill our personal desires and needs. I'll tell you, it's a lonely world in which we live. Amen? And these faith healers take advantage of that loneliness in many, many ways. And it's a sad day. We're not going back and rewriting the doctrines of the Bible. Yes, there was a passage where Peter and John laid on hands and they received the Holy Spirit. But the Bible tells us, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And if you're saved, guess who you got? The Holy Spirit. Amen? You don't have to worry about that. There's the laying on of hands and the ordaining of pastors. Other than that, that's all I can find in the Bible. So next time you see Ernest Angie slapping somebody across the room with that whatever he does, uh, in fact, there's one of them out there, I, I don't remember his name, but uh, he claims to be able to throw the Holy Spirit like a ball of fire and knock people over clear across the room. In fact, he's been known to go, who's like this in the whole choir faints at one moment? You say he's got the choir well trained, don't you? But I happened to be going to a Costco years ago when the first Harry Potter movie came out. And you know what Harry Potter and his nemesis were doing? They were throwing balls of power at each other. Exactly like that Pentecostal preacher was described. I said, you know something? That's that expectation. God's Word does not play games with salvation, with the Holy Spirit, with baptism, with faith, with the laying on of hands. And I mean, we could go over and over so many other people, but you get the idea. The only thing we need to worry about laying on of hands today is ordination and ministry. And again, we're not imparting any special gift to them other than the fact that we want to give their testimony to them and encourage them and and uh, and want them to go on in the ministry. Then it goes laying on laying again the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead. Now let's go to first Corinthians fifteen. I love the way Paul handles this one. This is my old guy thumb sucking ways. Uh, verse uh, chapter 15 of the first of first Corinthians. We're going to start in verse 13. It says, "If there, but if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching in vain, and your faith is also in vain. Ye, yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He raised not up, if so be." that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain, ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruit of them that slept. 
For by, since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Amen? The Bible is telling us this. There, are, there have been people from the beginning of the, of the faith in Jesus Christ that simply said, Listen, there's no resurrection. And Paul is here writing to the Corinthians that if there's no resurrection, let me just give it to you. If there's no resurrection and Christ didn't rise from the dead, then you have no faith. The people which are dead in Christ are perished. He said, we be of all men most miserable if our only hope in Jesus Christ is in this life. But then he goes on, but Christ is now risen from the dead. Amen. It is an immutable fact. In fact, there was a, a judge several years ago, I can't remember, I think this was back in the 60s, and he had spent his whole life weighing empirical evidence, courtroom evidence, and uh, he was an agnostic. He did not believe he could know there was a God, and he was always troubled by these people called Christians. And so once he retired, he said, I'm going to devote my time to debunking the myth of the resurrection. There's only one problem started by studying the Bible. As he went through the evidence in the Scripture, he said, I cannot debunk the evidence that is here. And he became a Christian. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, he wrote uh, the screenplay uh, and the whole thing for the movie Jesus of Nazareth, which of anything Hollywood has ever produced, is the most reverent in its aspect toward Jesus Christ. It's still not all the way Bible, uh, as there is nothing that Hollywood has ever had anything to do with that ever will be all the way Bible. It's just against who and what they are. But, I mean, that's as close as it comes. And it all started because he was going to disprove it. But he couldn't. If you accept the evidence, We come down to uh, verse uh, 30, and uh, I don't know. Do I need to stop at verse 29 talk about baptism of the dead for a minute? We skipped over that on baptism. Um, let's just do this real quick. Verse 29, Else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead? If the dead rise not at all, why are they then baptized for the dead? And why stand we in jeopardy every hour? I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. If after the man manner of men I have fought with peace at Ephesus, what advantage is it me if the dead rise not? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. We, we have an issue here. A lot of people, in fact, the Mormon faith has taken this verse, and they have made an entire regiment where you pay money to be baptized for somebody who died without being a Mormon, and by the act of being baptized for that dead person, you can line them up for the Mormon resurrection by being baptized for them. Now, that's a great moneymaker for the Mormon faith, amen? But that's not what being baptized for the dead is about. Paul said, If after the manner of men I fought with these at Ephesus, what advantage is it that the dead rise not? The baptism 
of death that he for the dead that he was speaking about is the same baptism Jesus spoke about. And he said, I have a baptism to be baptized with. How am I straightened until that is accomplished? He's talking about the baptism of suffering, the baptism of the cross. And that's simply what this is speaking about here. Is Paul already several times had been at death's door because of the suffering for the cause of Jesus Christ. Now, if you go down to Gay Pride Parade and start singing all kinds of anti-Jewish slogans and stuff and get yourself beat up, that's not what this is talking about, my friends. Uh, you deserve that. Don't do that. You're not going to accomplish anything for the name of Jesus Christ by inciting people to riot. What you need to do is serve Christ. History is replete with tens of thousands of stories of people who paid with their own life's blood for wanting to be baptized like Jesus did. For wanting to hold in their hands a copy of this book called the Bible in their own for refusing to accept the traditions of men, which are myriad. In England, the question was, is the divine presence in the host? Meaning, when you partake of the Mass, are you actually eating the flesh of Jesus Christ? If you answered no, you were burnt at the stake. Lady Jane Grey, the first female king. She was only there for seven days. Nobody ever heard of her because she was a Bible-believing Christian. And she was put to death because she would neither become a Church of England or a Catholic. Because she had faith in this book called the Bible. She was a Baptist. That's what they called them Anabaptists in those days, but that's what she was. And as we look here, we go down to verse 34, I think it is, and we'll pick up with this uh, thing. Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. But some man will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Now look how Paul treats this so mildly and kindly in verse 36. Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened except it die, and that which thou sowest, though thou sowest not that body which shall be, but bare grain, it may chance of wheat or some other grain. But God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him. And to every seed his own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, and another of birds. Um, anatomical scientist. wonder where he got these great bits of wisdom. Because they're still arguing about these things today, you know that? They say the DNA in a moth is an 86% match for that of a human being. But did I tell you that that 14% makes a rather large difference 
And the chances of that 14% appearing in the Moss family is like uh, a mathematical impossibility. How many of you remember the story of Dino Man? Does anybody remember Dino Man? Uh, my kids threw this thing away. It was in the World Book Encyclopedia. It's got to be true if it's in the World Book, right? And it was about these scientists that got together and they conjectured if evolution had continued that the dinosaur would have gotten uh, more and more manlike in his features. And they had this picture of this gray dinosaur with the head of a man and the arms of a man and a tail like a dinosaur and the legs uh, very similar to that of a Tyrannosaurus rex, only smaller in, in scale. And the name of the article was Dino Man. Now, you're laughing, but they actually printed this. I wish I had it. I'd show it to you. It, it, it's strange. I mean, it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. And, and yet, the people who wrote this really believed that this was going to happen. Had the dinosaurs survived another 400 million years or whatever it might have taken. tell you a couple of things about our resurrected body. I, I know there's a preacher out there that preaches every resurrected Christian will be 33 years old in May. Don't know where he gets that from. Uh, I don't believe it. Uh, I'm not going to worry about it. I, I think that comes under the category of doubtful. Don't worry about these things. You just let God take care of it. Amen? He's going to give us a resurrected body. We'll know a few things about that resurrected body. Number one, it's not going to have sin. Amen? There'll be no sin nature in that resurrected body if you're part of the first resurrection. Uh, that body will understand as well as we are understood by God today. God won't have to teach us everything. In that resurrected body, He's going to put all the knowledge of everything that we need to know. I've often heard preachers say, well, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to ask God all these questions. God's going to take care of all those questions. That new body will have a brain in it that actually works. Amen? Uh, it'll, it, all the problems are going to be solved because you will know God. And if you know God, guess what? You know everything you need to know. Amen? It's just that simple. And so we come down, oh, let's just read uh, a few other verses here. Verse 42, So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is shown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is shown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is shown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is shown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. So it is written, The first man, Adam, was made a living soul and the last Adam was made a quickening The Bible speaks of two resurrections. But there's a lot of deceit about that. Let's go to 2 Thessalonians as we're on our way back to Revelation, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, 
neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there shall come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Now it goes on here, and what had happened was somebody had sat down and wrote a book to the church of Thessalonians, and signed Paul's name to it. Thessalonica, by the way. And had written it, signed Paul's name to it, and said, the day of Christ is already here. The resurrection is already past. You guys missed out on it. Well, that would speak you up, wouldn't it? Paul wrote him a letter as soon as he found out about it and said, Don't worry about some letter that supposedly came from me saying this because that's not true. The first thing that has to happen before all of these things can be is the church has to be taken away. A man of sin who is the Antichrist. That is going to happen during the seven-year tribulation period. If you're saved, you're not going to be here. You're going to be out of here before that starts. That's what the Bible teaches. And so we, we look at these verses here and we understand these things, but there's people out there that say all of those people that preach a split resurrection that only those people who are serving Christ faithfully are going to be resurrected. The rest of them are either going to go through the tribulation or not be resurrected until it's over. Uh, there's all kinds of crazy people out there. Here's what the Bible says. Revelation chapter 20. The first resurrection actually stretches over a time period the best we can tell. It begins with an event that we call the rapture, where the dead in Christ are raised first. Then comes the seven-year tribulation period. And at the end of that tribulation period, those that died during the tribulation period are resurrected. Let's look here at uh, verse uh, 4. It says, And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until a thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. So the first resurrection ends after the tribulation period as those that died for the cause of Christ during that seven-year period are brought back uh, to life. They are given judgment. They're going to sit with and reign with Christ for a thousand years. At the end of that thousand years, the devil's going to be released from his prison. He's going to gather, uh, the Bible says, God and Magog. They're going to encamp us and encompass the New Jerusalem. Uh, read verse 9. It says, And they went up upon the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. By the way, the beast and the false prophet have been there for a thousand years at this point because they were put there at the end of the tribulation period they wait and reign for a thousand years in its present form. Now 
heard this about when they talk about eternal judgment because those things are connected. And it says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That is the second part. It's actually never called a resurrection because these people were dead and they were brought before the judgment seat and they were dead eternally and they were cast into the lake of fire. By the way, if you remember when we talked about baptism, the Baptist said Jesus had two baptisms to give, the baptism of the Holy Ghost, the baptism of fire. I suggest to you that the only place you can be baptized with fire is in the lake of fire. And you are immersed in that fire forever and ever. That is the second day. And it's interesting, the writer of the book of Hebrews goes right into laying out again the resurrection of the dead and laying again the doctrine of eternal judgment. Jesus in Luke chapter 12 said, Fear not him that can kill the body, and after that he can do nothing. Fear him that can kill the body from hell. Jesus cast the soul into hell. Fear him. Jesus is the only one who fears him. says, And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freedom. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers mongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars. Know how far down liars come in that list. Shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone which is the second death. Now we look at this and we can say, boy, that, that is rough, isn't it? But there's also the three in there. You don't have to be here. You don't have to live with for quite a period of time. He said, I just, I just feel like God is looking at me, trying to judge me, and, 
And he's been he's going to be mean to me if I'm not such and such a way. I said, where in the world did you get such a crazy idea? That's not in scripture. It's not life is not a giving party. You know, we're like busy making all this stuff and the lightning bolt comes up and fries it. I mean, that's the way we feel sometimes. But we feel that way because we're blaming God for hurting us or God. God will judge us for sin. Bible tells us he will even stop our lives if it comes to that point. Or it will certainly prevail. If you're trying to find or relay your faith toward God, if you're sitting here wondering about whether you had the right baptism or, or whether you were baptized enough times or whether there's some baptism that's yet to come yet, if you're all wrapped up in this laying on of hands stuff, hoping to get some kind of blessing that will propel you into true Christianity, if you're one of those persons that sits there and just tries to figure out what is going to happen in the resurrection of the dead. You just can't be satisfied with what the Bible says and leave the question to God leaves unanswered, unanswered. You've got to figure this whole thing out or you're sitting there in fear of eternal judgment, so much fear that you become like the servant who was given the crown but buried it in the earth. He said, I can't do anything because I'm afraid that what I'll do is evil. Word to supply 
there be someone here tonight that is not saved, that has the salvation and the relationship that they think is with you, wrapped up in all of these things that are not from you, that you would give them the ability to see past who and what they are and to trust in you. We ask you to do your work in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's just take a moment and Sharon will come. We'll just... Maybe she could just play Only Trust Him, a hymn we use often here.